Neil, welcome to the Centre for Entrepreneurial Learning's Entrepreneurs and Experts series. We're here to talk to you, Neil Stott, Chief Executive at Keystone Development Trust, about the challenges faced in developing social enterprises and your experiences of mentoring would-be social entrepreneurs studying on the postgraduate diploma in entrepreneurship programme at Cambridge University. Neil, perhaps you could start by telling us a bit about your background in social enterprise and the Keystone Development Trust. Okay, my background is when I left university, I started working in charities in London, worked for Mencap and Dr. Bernardo's and various other children's charities, then moved for 16 happy years in local government in community development services. In 2003, I joined Keystone Development Trust as its first chief executive and been there for 10 years growing the organisation. A development trust is a curious beast. It's there to deliver social good, but also to deliver enterprises, commercial activities, to deliver financial good back to the charity to support the services it runs. It is also based in a place tends to be very poor places. There are 500 big and small ones up and down the country. So you have the double challenge of trying to be sustainable in a poor place where there's market failure and where there is a state failure as well. And what attracted you to that sector, to social entrepreneurship? A number of things. One, after you know, quite a long time in the government, was to run my own organisation, albeit with trustees, something that was a start-up, something that was fairly innovative and there's room to be moved quickly, you know, like an entrepreneur does, where you can't always in, in local government. So if we now look at the trust, the Keystone Development Trust, how does it handle the challenges of retaining social and financial returns on investment in wealth creation projects within the community? Because you're not just there to do charity, a public good. Absolutely not. It is really hard to balance. We have spent 10 years building up our enterprises to deliver, one, financial return for the charity, two, to invest in our own social activities, but three, to create work and opportunities. So it's a balance. To do it, we have a portfolio of property, which we rent, small businesses, which we call social enterprises, consultancy, you name it. But it's a constant struggle. As I said earlier, when you're working in a poorer area where people don't have a lot of cash to buy goods and services, you have to be very creative. And also, in our case, you have to go to people in places that do have money, services for them, to bring back into your own area. So let's look at your income. Where does it come from? Grants, from profit, from business? 85% of our income now is through our businesses. So it's through rent and it's through trading activities like selling bikes, selling consultancy, selling food. And 10 to 15% is from grants. We've moved from 99% public funding to around about 85% earned income, true earned income. Well, that's a huge achievement. Congratulations. The Trust has recently been named by the Cabinet Office as one of a number of partners awarded a grant of 900000 to support social ventures in the east of England. How is this going to be used to help social entrepreneurs in the region? So that's a small percentage of that grant income you talked about. Yes, the, the grant goes to another organisation, but we're a key partner with Cambridge Judge Business School, Future Business in Cambridge and Foundation East. What we hope to do is grow a new generation of social ventures. Now, a social venture is not necessarily a social enterprise. It could be full-for-profit as long as it's got a strong social purpose. So it's a complete spectrum from what you would consider a social enterprise 
through to different sort of organisations. What we're doing is we're taking four cohorts through a learning journey to try and stimulate new activity, new ideas, and grow 50 social ventures within three years. We'll be taking two to 300 people, or groups of people, through the process. So there's going to be a lot of exciting activity, I suspect, over the next two or three years. And it could be any sort of entity, environmental, health-related, you know, social care. It could be IT-related. We're open to persuasion. And so it's an example of keystone development, partnering and cooperating with others. Yes. Basically, these days, alliances are, are crucial if you want to grow and develop. There are approximately 70,000 social enterprises in the UK. They contribute 18.5 billion to the UK economy based on a 2012 small business survey, 2013, and employing almost a million people. So it seems to be a strong sector, perhaps an underrated one. What are the factors driving the growth and strength of the sector today? There are a number of factors. Number one, generational. There's a new growth of young social entrepreneurs who you know, want to make a difference in the world as well as make money. Two, a shifting, a rebalancing, if you like, of the economy away from perhaps older models, pre-austerity and credit crunch. And three, a real feeling that there is, there needs to be change, there needs to be innovation, especially again where there's markets or state failure. This is a combination of factors, but there is a real zeitgeist around at the moment. You don't think that zeitgeist is overused, entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship, a bit too fashionable? There's a danger of that. I am fairly cynical about some aspects of it. There is dangers lurking. You know, social enterprise has followed the public pound for quite a long time. Getting social enterprises to grow to scale has been particularly difficult. There are lots of smaller ones, not a lot of larger ones. And with fashion, especially political fashion, it can bite you in the bottom because it can disappear very quickly when fashions change. Having said that, there is a strong and growing backbone of social entrepreneurs and social enterprises. And that's the strength of Keystone in the sense that your income comes mainly from business, not from grants. Absolutely. We are, to a degree, you know, in charge of our own future and we don't rely over, you know, too much on the public purse or on fashion. So should would-be social entrepreneurs be driven solely by a passion to help others? Or is there more to it? Do, you know, soft startup, does profit come because you're passionate? Or do you have to have a strong business head? So passion is crucial in any business, social or otherwise. If you haven't got passion, you, you might as well start, you know, not, not bother. Let's just get one thing clear. Social enterprises, especially on the, say, the, the softer end, people call them not-for-profit. I call it not for private profit. We're 100% for profit. It's just how you use your profits. You, you know, we recirculate any surplus or profit back into the charity, back into our, our social impact. So I think, you know, to be absolutely clear, it gives the wrong impression if you say not for profit, in my opinion. Firmly a business head there. What are the challenges in developing sustainable social ventures with a competitive edge? Do you have to be that much better have more foresight? I wouldn't like to privilege social entrepreneurs over entrepreneurs in general. I think their job, our job, is slightly harder, especially if we're taking on extra cost due to the people we're employing or in the places that we're working. So we have to be even more perhaps creative and possibly you know, start very lean. But one thing we do have on our side is that you know, as long as we can show it, is that we're showing social impact as well as financial return. I think many of the skills and many of the attributes are the same as any entrepreneur. 
you know, you do need a, need a good business head. You do need to understand how to plan business. And you do need resilience. I think resilience is a key word because you will face a lot of up and downs in your journey. So don't expect to start today and be successful tomorrow? Absolutely not. Scale. Is it possible to achieve scale with social enterprises, given the aim is often to provide local solutions? What are the key components of revenue models for scaled growth? Is it different to a normal business? It must be, because there aren't a huge amount of examples of scaled social enterprises in the UK. There are more in the USA. The jury is out. I mean, it's a $100 million question. How do you scale a social enterprise? And now here at the Cambridge Judge, we, Professor Paul Tracy and I and others are looking at this, this issue. There are some very good examples of some very big social enterprises. A lot of them tend to be property-based. If you like, it's old-fashioned capitalism. You take a rent from your property and recirculate it. People have looked at franchises. People are looking at replication. But to my knowledge, in the England at least, there are not many big social enterprises which is a bit of a surprise. Would you like to name some you admire, apart from Keystone? I admire Coin Street Community Builders, which is another development trust. I admire Westway, which is another development trust. I admire the Ferry Project in Wisbeach for different reasons. The Ferry Project is a fantastic project which solves a problem where they deal with homeless people. The homeless people didn't have jobs. They couldn't get jobs because they couldn't have addresses. Ferry Project, they gave them an address and they created social enterprises to give them a job. So they squared the circle so those people could take on the next step. Just an example of the great creativity within the sector. And coming up from the local level rather than top down. Absolutely. If we look now at your position at the Centre for Entrepreneurial Learning, you're currently a mentor to students on the postgraduate diploma in entrepreneurship. What do you see as a key task as a mentor? My key task is to support five students through their entrepreneurial journey with Cambridge Judge Business School. And that's about being a listening ear, someone to shoulder the crown occasionally, and someone, in the words of one of my students this morning, is to give them tough love when they need it. So tell them to get on with it. Tell them to focus, you know, to think carefully, to learn how to prioritise, knowing what's important in, in life as well as their studies. The focus of the mentoring on the programme, do you mentor the person or do you mentor the business venture or both? I mentor the person but also the business, so I'm doing a bit of both. But in my experience to date, helping the individual through quite a a challenging journey when they're working full-time as well as studying and creating a business, you know, you do need to have a number of support skills, should we say. And the postgraduate diploma in entrepreneurship is comprised of residential sessions and online learning. How do you manage communication with students? I use old-fashioned telephone, Skype, texting, you name it, anything that works with students. And it varies with student to student, partly because of location and and partly because of their needs. I have a couple of students from Malaysia, so we we do a lot of Skyping. If you look at the problems and challenges that a social entrepreneur and entrepreneur faces, is it legal, funding issues? Have the students involved in social enterprise encountered any particular problems that you thought well that's a common problem or that's a not so common problem? I think every student I've mentored social or otherwise the hardest question is who are my customers? What problem am I trying to solve? That's the hardest question 
people get very confused on that issue. The next hardest question, especially for the social entrepreneurs, is understanding that they are a business. They have to operate like a business, and whatever passion and social aims they have has to be in that context. You cannot magically create money or an entity out of just sheer passion. Do you have any tips for social entrepreneurs? Is there a particular story from your own experiences? I would use the word resilience. I'd encourage people to learn and to continually learn. In my experience, combining academic study as well as being a practitioner has been really helpful. But it gave me space, space to think, space to problematise, space to worry, because my approach is like a dog with a bone. If I don't understand something, I need to work it out before I can do something about it. And it's really helped my organisation, Keystone. Do you think people need to be frightened of failure? Absolutely not. I think most people would admit that they learn a heck of a lot from their failures. Now, failures can be expensive in time, in money, and in reputation. But frankly, if you haven't had a few, I'm afraid arrogance can take over, which is never a good thing. And and just in terms of your favourite story, is it the fact that you, as someone who's risen up from the charity world, local government, to academia, to now mentoring others on the postgraduate diploma in entrepreneurship, is it to be a dog with a bone? Absolutely. I like being a dog with a bone. I like to understand. I like to, to worry about things. And I think by taking that approach, it does avoid some really unpleasant bear traps. Believe in your own rhetoric as an organisation or an individual is very dangerous. Neil Stott, thank you for talking to us for the CFEL Entrepreneurs and Experts podcast series today. And I have to say, congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you.